Amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Thank you, guys. Uh, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to read the Bible today. Is that okay? All right. Okay. I already told y'all, one of my pet peeves is when people say, well, I don't know. They didn't really preach. They kind of just read through the Bible. And I'd be like, well, (laughs) it'll preach if you let it. Um, And so we are going to declare the good news, but we're going to jump into the word um, together. I always give that warning because, you know, then you don't have to think in your head, when is she done? You know what I mean? So I just give you a little warning. Um, So we're going to start with verse five. Um, We're going to read through some of the verses collectively, and then we'll bounce around a little bit. So I'll give you a guide as we read through there. But I think it's really important that you kind of follow along with me. And then we'll jump into some context and giving you um, hopefully something that you can walk away with and apply to your life. All right. So verse five, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. He said it again. He was really sorry. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Um, Some virgins say a righteous man. And he was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Okay, so this is not just a story of a man who built a big boat and everybody got away and all the animals looked fluffy and cute. Okay, like this was the hand of judgment coming on the world. Um, skip down to verse 18. It says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. If you skip down to verse 22, it says, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And I want you to pay attention to that. If we go to chapter seven, we're going to read verse five. It says, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. They said it again. He did every single thing that the Lord commanded him. Verse nine, it says, two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Skip down to verse 16. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. How many times have they told you about Noah's obedience? Are you counting? Okay, so they've told us four times now that he's done as the Lord commanded him. Go to chapter 8. It says, then, 8 and 1, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the things that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So Noah got instruction, okay? So the people of God were in trouble, all right? Because that's what we call it around here, in trouble. I don't believe in adults getting in trouble, but okay, in trouble. They were in trouble. He was very upset. And so he gave Noah instructions. 
Noah followed all the instructions time and time again. They wanted to reiterate that Noah was a very obedient individual. So the flood comes. The flood is over. God remembers Noah. He blesses him. And he's like, okay, it's done. Noah goes through this process of sending out um, a bird, trying to see if he'll come back. They assume that if he doesn't come back, then there's dry land. Bird kept coming back. Comes back with olive branch. Oh, still not safe yet. So he still exercised patience. Um, when we go to chapter 9, go ahead and skip to chapter 9, verse 1. It says, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We skip down to verse 8. And it says, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. When we look at verse 12, it says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That's how I refuse to let my rainbow go. Verse 20 says, And Noah began to be a farmer. And he planted a vineyard. So everybody's off the boat and everything's all good. And he's blessed and generations that he'll never even meet are blessed. And Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. So they're like walking backwards to make sure they didn't see him. It says their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. And then it says, so Noah awoke from his wine. Uh, he had a little hangover just a little bit. <laughs> and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. We're talking about the same generations that were perpetually blessed. And then verse 28, if you move down to verse 28, it says, and Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. Then it just ends and says, and he died. Just, I mean, they gave us all that, and they was like, and he died. And that was it. And then it was kaput. So I want to preach a message today entitled, Life After the Promise. We're reading through the book of Genesis. We're looking at Genesis, and we see Noah. Noah is one of a kind. Noah is, I mean, definitely a, God, a, a man after God's heart. Um, Noah stood out. In the, like, we have a hard time standing out in our family. We have a hard time standing out in our church, standing out in our city. 
Noah stood out amongst everybody in the world. Like, like absolutely everybody to where he was the one, the one. Because they didn't even say his family was righteous. They just got to come riding on his righteousness. And so he was the one that received favor in the sight of God. And why? We see why. Every single thing God told him to do, he was obedient. It seemed odd. It seemed strange. It seemed crazy. He was obedient. Everybody was wilding out, taking part in sin and lasciviousness. And he was steadfast. He was obedient. He was faithful. The Lord said to do something. It didn't mention that he questioned them. If he did question them, it was brief. And he just did as the Lord commanded him. Then they tell us again, he did as the Lord commanded him. They tell us again, he did as the Lord commanded him. They tell us again, he did as the Lord commanded him. He is consistent as an apostolic builder. He did not waver with what God had called him to do. He spent his entire life going against the moral grain of the culture literally around him in the world. So then how in the world do we get from obedient and faithful Noah Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, only to get to verse 21 to drunk Noah. I mean, the Bible literally spent four chapters talking about his obedience and faithfulness. So then how did we get here? From you being someone who was an anomaly to someone who was the common character. For many of us, you think life after the promise. Well, the Lord already said he's not going to do that again. And so I don't have to worry about ever really building a boat and get all these monkeys and chihuahuas and whatever else it is on the boat with me. Because he's just not going to do it again. But how do you define your promise? What does your life look like after your promise. He laid hold of the promise. The problem was after the promise. What is your promise? Is it a promise of marriage? What does it look like after that? After you get it? Is it a promise of parenthood? What does it look like after that? After you get it? After you get the thing that he promised, after the, you get the thing that you work for, after you get the thing, after your seasons of obedience and faithfulness, when you finally get it, what does your life look like then? Is it a promotion? Is it your own business? Is it a position in the church? Is it relationships? Is it connections? Is it favor? Is it money? Is it landing your dream life all around? What do you do after you've laid hold of the promise? Now that you have room to use your gift, what does your character look like? Now that you have the man of your dreams, what does your 
character look like? Now that you have the financial status and you've moved up into the tax bracket and you've done everything it is that you've always wanted to do, that you prayed to God so faithfully and you were a good boy and you were a good girl and you got what he promised and he made true on his promise. But what about you? Whatever it is, after he did what he promised, what happened to your promise? You would expect that after the promise, you feel like a rock star, right? You're like, I finally got it. We finally did it. We here now, started from the bottom. Now we, hey, hey, you know, you like, you all the way there. You got it. But there is something familiar about striving. There's something familiar about fighting, going against. There even is a sense of purpose and feeling needed, feeling wanted, feeling necessary while you're striving for the promise. That you almost get fulfillment in the journey, but once you hit the goal that sense is gone because you got what you worked your entire life for. And now you're just here. People struggle with postpartum depression. It's a real thing. Like it is a real thing. And if people would be honest, more honest about it, then people wouldn't feel so isolated by dealing with it. But that's a whole nother message. And other people look on and they think and they say, you've got a beautiful baby. What's there to be sad about? You've got a family. What's there to be sad about? God kept you all this time and he delivered. He kept you safe. You've got everything. What is there to be sad about? But the sadness comes from being at this new zero. From being at this new blank page. Because everything you work for, you got it. And now what do you do? Now why are you here? Now what is the attention for? Now where do you go? Now how do you meet the new expectations? Now how do you top what you had previously experienced? And if I'm not striving and he's asking me just to live, I don't know how to do that. Because what I'm looking at is such a clean slate. Noah lived in this world and fought to stand out with his moral character. He fought to be a man of God. But now that he is the one and he's expected to reestablish the rules, to reestablish the laws, to reestablish things, he's at a blank slate. And it's not as exciting as it was before. And so when we look at this after accomplishment process, what do you do when you went from being the moral minority to now a mental mess? In his mind. 
mind, he could not process that the objective that he worked for so long was finally there. There is weight on the other side. There is a testing of character on the other side. There is a testing of everything that you spent years establishing and fighting for. And now you actually have to put it into place because he kept good on his promise. So now you have to deliver life on the other side of the promise. Things will not naturally be the same, but what is the condition of your heart? There is one thing that did not drown in the flood. And that was sin. Because the sin, it lived in him. The sin lived in man. He was righteous. But it didn't mean that he didn't have sin nature still on the inside of him. It was that he hadn't acted on it. And because he hadn't acted on it, he found favor with God. Just because you're not acting on sin doesn't mean it does not exist. Sin rode in the ark. Sin walked up the ramp with everything else. Sin was in his wife. Sin was in his sons. Sin was in him. And now on the other side of the promise, they still have to fight the sin. But when you fought and actually laid hold of the promise, you can easily be distracted. It was a new earth, but it was the same old humanity. And when they walked that 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 ark, sin walked on off with them. And when they stepped into that new world, sin stepped into that new world with them. We read in Ecclesiastes 7 and 20, it says, For there is not a just or righteous man on the earth who does good and does not sin. The danger here is that Noah, he hadn't engaged in, but he hadn't yet learned to hate what he came out of. And see, when we try to promote that hatred of what you came out of, people sometimes translate that hatred into hatred of people. Right. So this is why you can say things like, oh, well, I know I've been delivered. I know I've been set free. I know I've moved forward. But what about my family? What about my kids? What about my this? What about these people? What about those people? What about these people? What about those people? This is why people have literally left the church or uh, some churches that are very straightforward about their disagreement with the homosexual lifestyle. Because they feel that if God is such a good and loving God, how in the world could he put out these individuals per their decisions? Even though you understand it for yourself, but you play like you don't understand it when it comes to God. Because you are a loving individual. But if someone comes into your house, and perverts what it is that you have consecrated onto God. You too would put them out. You would not maybe never talk to them again for the rest of your life, but you would not condone what they're doing. You have a stove. 
My stove is consecrated onto God. Clean that stove up and we use that stove for cooking what? Food. If you get naked, spread your cheeks and sit on my stove, we're going to have a problem. I don't hate you. I don't hate you. But you're going to have to get off this here stove like this. I'll give you a hand. I'll help you down off the stove. I'll give you a step stool to come on down off that stove. And when you get off the stove, baby, you can put your pants on. I'll make you a meal and serve it. Well, we got to consecrate it again. But I make you a meal and serve it to you. But it has nothing to do with how I feel about you. It's just that it's inappropriate use of what I've been given. And this is just not the way we use it. And I still love you, but you coming off that stove, baby. And I'm still going to hug you, but you're going to get off that stove. We've made friends with the sin. Because we put sin and people together in both ways. We put sin and people together and want to still embrace them. We put sin and people together and throw them both away. The problem is that the sin and the people are two different issues. Even though sin lived in Noah and sin got on the ark with Noah, he was still a righteous man. Why? Because he did not engage the sin. But he also did not hate the sin enough. Because if he hated the sin, he'd never turn back to the sin. But the sin found compassion in Noah. And because the sin found compassion in Noah, past the compassion that God has called us to have for people. He's called you to have compassion for people. He's called you to have a heart for people people. He's called you to have a heart to see them restored, brought back to God in right relationship with the Lord, in the church, established to pray for them, to deliver them, to walk with them, to encourage them, to affirm them. But he never called you to have a relationship with their sin. And if you don't hate the sin, then you're friends with the sin. And so in the absence of everyone else engaging sin, sin had no more friends. And so because Noah didn't hate it, then sin found a friendship with him. When we look at the story here, Noah the drunk, Ham at best dishonorable, at best couple different versions. People tend to like the most kissiest version of the Bible. This is cool. So then some people are like, oh, yeah. So he walked in and he saw his father. And then he went and told his brothers and he's making fun of his daddy. He didn't cover his dad. Well, yes and no. So you got to read the Bible. So when it says that he saw him, 
It's the same root word used there that talked about the other group of people who were engaging in sexual sin and we were instructed not to see each other in our nakedness. And so we weren't supposed to see them. They weren't supposed to see us in our nakedness. And that was the PG version of everybody having a big orgy. It's the same word that was used. So what he did was he came in and he took advantage of his father. Or in the most cloudiest version, he saw his papa and then he said, he, 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 naked, he look at his pee-pee. Okay. Whatever version. But when you look at that root word, it's the same word saying he saw him, he engaged with him. And I would propose to you that why in the world would an entire generation get cursed because somebody looked and said, teehee? And so they cursed an entire generation that was perpetually blessed? Well, okay, I'll give you either version, either version you could take. He was also on the boat. He also had the challenge of living life after the promise. And so when faced with that, he became a dishonorable man. Noah became a drunk. But there were two sons that were able to live life after the promise. There were two sons that were able to hold on to their honor and resist the temptation of what the unknown brings. When the unknown comes, we have been known to do some unthinkable things. Why? Because we're living in the unknown. Fear and anxiety will drive you to do some things that you never thought you would do. And before you know it, it's been perverted, it's been twisted, and you don't know why. Why? Because you have to prepare for life after the promise. You've lived your entire life waiting on the promise. But what about life after the promise? Life after the promise proved to be way harder for Noah. When you look at Noah, he was introduced to us at 500 years old. He was 500. 500 having kids. He's like, hey, Papa Noah. And then it takes four chapters to tell us about an interim part of his life. 100 years, four chapters. He was introduced to us in one verse at 500 years old. All of that life of obedience and faithfulness ended in one verse. And he lived another 350 years. And we hear nothing else about him. It took a hundred years, four chapters to build a life of obedience and faithfulness. Gone. One verse. And the last 350 years of his life. And after all that faithfulness and after doing all that God commanded him to do and after doing all that God commanded him to do and after doing all that God commanded him to do, because they said it again, and after doing all that God commanded him to do, done. It said, and he died. We don't know if he died a drunk. Because it never said that he went to rehab. 
We don't know if he said no, no, no. We don't know. It just says that he died. And when we look later, the Canaanites, people were instructed to kill that entire group of people. So God used an entire flood, saved his entire family. Canaan got on the boat just as like a loose end of his granddaddy's righteousness. And for the rest of his line, they were marked because somebody didn't know how to live life after the promise. He saw the promise. He received a blessing. He made a poor decision on the other side of the promise, which opened the door to reverse the blessing that had been perpetually doled out to his life. And you think that you can just pray for a promise? You have to mentally prepare for this promise. It is work to survive the new world that you're staying up all night long to work for. And you're just toiling and you're working. And some people are rooting you on. And the people that's not rooting you on, you just say they hating on you. They want to be you. But there's something about preparing for after you get what you prayed so long for. I've seen people turn away from God after the promise. You prayed for this child. You prayed for this relationship. You prayed for that position. You prayed to have influence. You prayed to have impact. Only to lay a hold of what you prayed for and allow it to be perverted and reversed perpetually. But because you didn't do the mental work to prepare for life after the promise, Ephesians 5 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. It's a replacement of the two. And because he engaged in the wine and got drunk with the wine, the word indicates an absence, at least in that moment of the spirit, because it's a replacement. You can't be with both. Ephesians 4 and 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He was in mental anguish. He was in torment. Literally the weight of the world, now that he got the promise, was on his shoulders. Why? Because he had to make sure that he stayed in right standing with God. Even though he had been able to do it all those years. But there comes a certain point where the promise has the potential to make you go mad. But when you prepare mentally ahead of time, then you get ready for a new beginning. Because see, for many of us, the promise is the end. And you never look to read another book. When I finished my PhD, I said, I don't want to read another book. I was done. I had become so focused on actually getting my degree that when it was finished, I didn't want to read anything else. And I went two years and I did not write anything. But the whole point of having a PhD is to do more research. That's the point. 
The whole point of you finally getting the man of your dreams was to create families for the kingdom of God. The whole point of you coming into parenthood was for you to raise up disciples in the temple of God. The whole point of you laying a hold of that financial status was so that you could bless the kingdom of God. The whole point of you rising up to have the impact was to make impact for the kingdom of God. The entire point of him giving you the promise was for another promise. But you got comfortable with the promise that he promised. And because you were comfortable with the promise that he promised, you didn't look for another. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Why? Because the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You feel too accomplished to live life in the promise. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say why were the former days better than these. He longed for the days when he could just live righteously without the weight and the responsibility of the promise. He didn't hate what he had been delivered from. He was the big man on campus. When everybody else was in sin. He was his favorite when everybody else was in sin. But now that he got the promise, he actually was expected to do something with the promise. And the thought of that was overwhelming. You want your promise, but do you know what you'd actually do with it? You want your promise, but do you know what you'd actually do with it? Because I'll tell you what people do with the promise every day. They get the promise and they run from God. They get the promise and they forget his house. They get the promise and they forget what they originally were called to do. They get the promise and they have no idea what to do when they get there. They get the promise and now they're a different person. They get the promise and something changes about their character. This is why some people say that money changes you. Money didn't change you. And that new world didn't change Noah. Noah walked onto that ark with sin. Noah walked off of that ark with sin. And at a certain point, Noah decided to engage in that sin. Why? Because he thought he had accomplished something. Why? Because he thought he had arrived at a place and he let his guard down. He never looked at what am I going to do when I get off of this boat? God, when I get off this boat, what is the strategy? How will you keep me? What are you going to do next? What is it that you want to do with me now that you've given me the promise I give the promise back to you now that you've given me the desires of my heart I give the desires of my heart back to you I give my child back to you I give my marriage back to you I give my job back to you I give my status back to you I give my followers back to you I give my book back to you everything you gave me I give it back Because if it's mine alone, it will make me lose my mind. We must stay faithful to the very first thing that he called us to. 
You think that he gave you the promise and now you are removed from having to serve his kingdom, from having to serve his people, from having to say yes perpetually every day to him? Absolutely not. He gave you that promise in good faith. That you would give that promise back. We're not talking about somebody who was disappointed by God. Because see, when we get disappointed by God, we feel justified in leaving God. We feel justified in he didn't come through. No, this is somebody who came through. He laid a hold of that promise. And he literally moved further away than when he was living in the worst times. So bad that God wanted to start over. He was literally grieved. But he wanted to go back. We must stay faithful. Revelations 2 and 3 says, and you have preserved you have persevered and you have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. It didn't say that you are engaging anything. It said, keep it at the forefront of your mind where you came from. Repent. The thought of going back should make you want to repent. And do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. That's how the Bible says that God will knock your lights out. (laughs) Unless you repent. When I learned the story of Noah, I want to be like Noah. I want to be obedient. I want to ride on a big boat too. I love elephants. I love birds. And then see the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. But I want to be just as prepared on the other side of the promise. I want to make sure that as he fulfills these things in my life, I'm equally faithful to him. To give him the promise back and not to squander it. I'm concerned about the perpetual blessing that's been spoken over my life. And yeah, it didn't happen to all three, but there was an entire line. And some people say, well, why did he curse Cain and he didn't curse Ham? Ham was going to die. He was almost out of here. It was a perpetual blessing and it was a perpetual curse. I'm more concerned about my characters to sustain me on the other side of the promise. What will you do when he gives it to you? I literally want you to think through that. 
You've been praying for six figures. You've been praying for him to do this. You've been praying for him to expand your family. You've been praying for the promotion. You've been praying for the new home. You've been praying. But do you, will you get the new home and refuse to even host a Bible study in it? Will you get the children and then say, now I can't come to the house of the Lord because of the children? Will you get the marriage and now you're so busy building the marriage that you can't build his kingdom? Will you get the promotion and then now the promotion causes you to be absent in the work of the kingdom? And I'm not talking about church attendance. Don't be shallow. But let's also not say that church attendance isn't a part of building the kingdom. If you don't communicate and fellowship with his people, you can't serve his people. Will you get the financial status and then decide that I just can't do them both? You've become drunk on your own hype. You've become drunk on your own pride. You've become drunk on your own accomplishments. You've become so drunk that you forgot your first love. God, we thank you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you. Not only would you make us a promise, but you will allow our life after the promise to be more than one verse of and he died. God, we repent right now in your presence. God, we surrender our hearts to you and we say, find us faithful before and after. Find us faithful in the process and in the promise. Find us faithful on this side and on that side. Find us faithful with everything that you've promised us, God, and we repent for any measure of turning away from you and we pray return our hearts to you God allow our eyes to be open not to just look at the promise as something we want to show off as something that we want to give to the world but we want to also then become like the world God allow us to live in you all the days of our life and don't let our testimony be that they did all he commanded and that he blessed them and he made covenant with them and they came out but let our testimony be that we submit our promise back to you even before we lay a hold of the promise we commit our promise back to you even before we see it come alive we commit our promise back to you even as the floods are still raging even as we're still riding on the ark God we commit our promise back to you give us the mind of Christ replace our mind with the mind of Christ God because you know the end before the end begins And so allow us to live in new beginnings and 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 and find hope and accomplishment and find favor all the days of our life. But we commit to you our first love. Just like you'll never leave us, we'll never leave you. Just like you'll never leave us, we'll never leave you. 
Would you spend some time with your first love right now? Would you communicate with your first love right now? Would you make a promise and a vow to him? Lord, I'll never leave you. Lord, I'm not just praying to get what I want. Lord, I'm not just living for you to get what I want. But I will never leave you. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You are faithful, so I will find myself faithful. You are righteous. I will walk in the ways of righteousness. I will always pray to you. I will always worship you. I will always submit to you. I will always make your kingdom and your promise and your purpose first. I will not be distracted. 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 I will not be drunk with the things of this world and lasciviousness and pride. Oh God, I commit to you. Come on and love on him. Love on your first love. Come on and just love on your first love. Tell him how much you adore him. Come on, he's your first love. Come on, he's your first love. Come on, he's your first love. He's the love before the promise. He's the love that kept you. He's the love that saved you. He's the love that preserved you. He's your first love. Oh, we bless your name, Jesus. Come on, would you just have a love session with him? Would you just have a love session with him? Come on and let him love on you and you love on him back. 